Ultimate Escape is a family-friendly ministry that addresses sexuality. Some episodes may contain sensitive terms and subject matter, especially for younger children. Hello and welcome to the Ultimate Escape Podcast. I'm David Chenault. You know, in this broken world that we live in, we all face struggles throughout our lives. And perhaps one of the most difficult struggles to face in life is that of surviving sexual trauma. Now, trauma comes in many forms, and at many times in our lives, it could have happened as an adult, it could have happened as a child. Today on the Ultimate Escape Podcast, we'll talk with Steve Holiday about surviving sexual trauma. We'll talk about the emotions and the feelings we experience as survivors of sexual trauma, and even why many survivors decide never to discuss it with the people they love the most. It's not an easy conversation to have, but one we feel is vitally important to begin the process of healing for both the survivor and the people they love. So join us today on the Ultimate Escape Podcast. So hello and welcome, Steve Holiday in the studio with us uh, today. Steve, how are you today? Hey, good to be here. Doing well. Okay, so as uh, we get older, uh, we get into relationships and maybe into a marriage relationship, and we start thinking back about some of the things that have happened over time, uh, the things that we've experienced either younger years, either as a as an adolescent or or maybe even uh, as a young adult, and we start trying to decide uh, how much of the baggage that I bring into the relationship I'm in now, how much of that do I need to sit down, open up and go through and kind of deal with it? Or is it better just to leave it where it was and move on forward without looking back? That's what we're going to talk about today. Where do you stand on this? How does this, is that a fair assessment of how to to approach this topic? Yeah, I think a lot of people try the, I just don't want to have to deal with it. Let me just keep on moving. Uh, And that doesn't work very well. Uh, So my suggestion is always, hey, if there's some baggage back there that's interfering or related to to current relationship, probably better to deal with it than to continue to try to run from it. How often do we know that that's what that is? How often does the the strain and the stress and the problems in our current relationship are, are actually because of some of that. I mean, we, we are a product of who we have been. Right. And so do we even recognize that uh, what's going on in this relationship is really a holdover from things that have happened in our past? I probably I would say that most people wouldn't recognize that. And how often is that what's responsible? Who Who knows? I sure don't have a crystal ball on that. As a general rule, if the energy in a particular moment is bigger than that moment calls for, that's a pretty good indicator that there's something from the past that's bleeding into right now. I like how you put that. So that, so basically, if the response, somebody's response is disproportionate to what it should mm-hmm. be, or if someone flies off the hand, I'm just trying to... Sudden, a sudden burst of energy. I had a client that told me they liked that phrase, that, the, man, we just had a sudden burst of energy. Where is that coming from? Because what we're talking about right now, it doesn't require that level of energy. And sometimes that's something that I can recognize in other people, right? Mm-hmm. I bring up something uh, in, a, in a daily setting. This happens, I've, I've got four children, so I have a teenage daughter, and, uh, and she comes through, and I say, well, you look nice today, and boy, that just something happens and triggers, and it, like something else is going on. Yeah, because that, that's not about this. <laughs> that's not about right. what I just said. But at the same time, there could be a situation, I guess, where 
I recognize in myself, I'm, I'm having a conversation with someone and suddenly realize, you know, my heart is racing, my pulse is, is pounding, mm-hmm. I'm starting to, this is not, why am I doing that? I mm-hmm. guess that's and, awesome. And sometimes the body is a great indicator because the body remembers. The body stores uh, emotional memory in a very powerful way. And so when my body starts to have a reaction, uh, that's a pretty good indicator. Hey, there, there's something that this is triggering. And it's not something that time necessarily heals. I mean, we hear Absolutely that. Absolutely doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> we hear that all the time, but that's just not true. Correct. So how do we approach this? How do we, what, what do we do? How do we, how do we go about, and I guess you have some, some specific ideas, some specific situations. So if we look at, let's just take half the, the population here. Let's look at females. Okay. Say, okay, from, from adult females, how many have had experiences as either young children or school-aged children, um, young adults, uh, related to sexuality, uh, that hurt gets triggered at some point uh, in in their current the today. Uh, I would imagine that that's a pretty high number. I'm not, you know, is that more than half? Uh, just based on facial expressions, when I'm speaking to audiences, I would say at least half uh, females when we start talking about sexual hurt and previous sexual encounters, uh, the emotion that is reflected on the face, um, I would imagine that you know, at least half have, have some kind of experience that they're identifying with when we're talking. And I've seen numbers uh, suggested by different studies. Uh, I can't quote those studies right here, but I've seen numbers anywhere from one in four uh, mm-hmm. to three in four right. women have had some kind of sexual trauma or sexual uh, struggles in their past mm-hmm. uh, leading up to uh, wherever they are in, that, in their yeah, life. Yeah, so much of that you know, varies by what is being defined as sexual, you know, basically sexual abuse. We're talking invasive sexual trauma uh, where there's penetration are we talking unwanted sexual touch do we include you know sexual advances or moments where somebody felt very unsafe Mm -hmm. something may not have actually happened but it was on the verge of happening if we if we widen it out to include all of those types of experiences um, i think you'd be hard pressed to find very many females who can't identify with being in those kinds of situations. Bottom line, most people have had some kind of experience. This is this touches a l- most everybody. Right, and, and male and female. But you know, right. for the purpose of this particular podcast, I'd really like to zone in on uh, the adult females who may be listening, who either they or a friend of theirs has sexual trauma in the background and has never really dealt with it. So how do you do that? I mean, where, where do we start with that? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, it, you know, something has to happen that brings it on the radar. Uh, and there are a number of different indicators. Uh, some of the most common are you know, those, those emotional landmines. You know, somebody walking around, they're perfectly fine, and, and some, something is said, or they're in a situation, and there's a big overreaction okay, that's coming from somewhere. Uh, and is that related to sexuality? An aversion to sex or looking at sex as a dirty thing. I was talking with a, a, a husband recently and he had approached his wife to, to try to have some discussion around their sex life and she shut him down instantly, but that's nasty, that's dirty. Why would you even talk about that? Mm. Wow, okay, that's coming from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not about that moment. Uh, obviously that visceral reaction, um, yeah, my hunch would be that she is responding to a trigger from the past. So if we find ourselves in that spot, uh, hey, this is causing a problem in my marriage, because for most adult survivors of childhood sexual trauma, 
uh, it has an effect on the sexual relationship in marriage. You know, there are two bookends people can go toward uh, as a response to sexual trauma. One is hypersexuality. Uh, and I think I've mentioned on a previous podcast uh, that we that we did on the um, beyond the politics of sexual abuse. Uh, talked about a situation where you know a girl was raped and then had 30 plus sex partners over about an 18 month period. Uh, so hypersexual behavior is a response, but uh, sexual aversion uh, or shutting down, basically abstaining from anything sexual, can also be a response to that. Uh, so for you know, wives who, if my husband is interested in sex, I may feel like it's my wifely duty. You know, we, we've got a, a lot of uh, religious tradition mm-hmm. that, that would even refer to sex. And we wouldn't say the word sex. We would say, you know, a wife's duty or right. a wife's responsibility, doing her wifely thing, um, meaning have sex. Um, that that's, that's just the burden that they feel they have to carry. Uh, and to be robbed of the ability to have sexual pleasure or any anticipation uh, man, that's yeah, that's a that's a tough spot to be in as a married individual. I, so as we see this, uh, and and I guess sometimes this comes up before marriage in a premarital situation or a time it can, yeah. but it doesn't mean that it does. Okay, mm-hmm. is it? Uh, and and so when it comes up, when it's triggered, uh, and I guess in a in a sense, in some worlds or some uh, realms, we would talk about an outcry of, of, from a victim. But in mm-hmm. this case, it's not necessarily an outcry, but it's some kind of outward expression of, hey, this is the trigger that, that there is an issue here. Is mm-hmm. that fair to say? I think the word trigger is a very accurate word to use. Anything that's uh, it's related to the past and we're experiencing it in the now, mm-hmm. yeah, something has triggered that response. So uh, as a trigger, if we're looking for triggers in the relationship that says, hey, this is uh, this is obviously generated some kind of response in me. Mm-hmm. When you see that in someone else, if I see that in my friend, or if I know, hey, I see this kind of, I have a friend, she's coming to me, she's talked about this issue over and over. Um, how can I best approach it? How can I encourage her to, 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 to look into that without trying to appear to be invasive or, or offensive to her? Well, that's a very tight wire to try to walk. Right. Um, if I can see something in a friend and I don't know that they're able to see it, I may ask permission. Hey, if, if there was something that uh, you noticed about me that I thought I, or that you thought I was blind to, I just want you to know I, I would welcome you to point that out. I, we're close enough friends that I trust your judgment, and I would want you to do that. Uh, I'm curious if you would, if you would want me to do the same. Okay. Uh, now I've just made an invitation. Uh, they can say yes. They can say no. That that's totally their choice. But I've I've broached the subject. Uh, if I feel really comfortable and we're very good friends, I may just hey I, I'm going to say it and ask forgiveness later. My hope is that there are people who are listening to this podcast um, who have close enough relationship with someone that whether it's that they're experiencing this in their own marriage or. Uh, they know somebody else is having these problems because that person has already confided in them. Mm. Um, and, and that level of discussion happens, you know, with, with women who are close friends. Sure. You know, sometimes they're just subtle hints. There can be a lot of fear in, do I even want to open Pandora's box right. on this? And that's a good question because we have this idea perhaps that says, I'm, I'm maintaining, is it going to get worse if I open that box? It probably will at least for a period of time. Uh, you know, that's one of the things when I'm, when I'm working with individual clients, uh, working through things like this, that's one of the things we talk about in the very first session. 
uh, the potential risks of dealing with baggage from the past. It might get worse. Uh, matter of fact, I would say one of the worst things to do is open the box and then refuse to deal with what's in the box. <laughs> so if I have a client who comes in and they're, they're in for two or three sessions and then they stop coming, they're probably going to be worse off than if they had never come in in the first place mm. because we've just triggered a lot of stuff. Right. Um, matter of fact, if, if it was a bottle of water with a little bit of sediment and that bottle's been sitting on a shelf for the last year, all the sediments down there at the bottom, well, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of clean water in that bottle at the top. Uh, but once you shake that thing up, that sediment's everywhere and it affects every aspect of the bottle. And that's what happens when someone comes in and we start dealing with baggage, especially if it's sexual trauma in the past. Now, pretty much every aspect of my life in the moment is now affected by that. Right. Uh, and so it makes it difficult to just do the normal day in, day out to show up at church to people say, hey, how are you? Or how was your week? And I feel like I've got to lie or put on a mask because I don't want to have to talk about what's really going on. Mm. Yeah, it, it can be uh, it can be difficult to in, in the early part of that journey. Uh, the payoff is in the difference that it can make in day-to-day -day life for the rest of my life. So I was, you know, again, I can speak from my journey. I can speak from the experiences of other people uh, who have shared those journeys with me. Hey, I think the payoff is well worth it, but I've got to be committed to taking the journey, not just a few steps and then bailing. The hope is once you've dealt with this, then the problems that you're experiencing are be much less. You get through the difficult part and the, the end result is much better than before. Right. I can move into my future without this thing behind me continuing and, to, to follow me around and have control of my life. And to use your bottle analogy, the only way to get the sediment, to get the, the junk that's in the bottom mm -hmm. of that bottle out is to shake it up and to, to filter out all the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. and, but in the end, you wind up with a full bottle of clean water right. <laughs> and the sediment is gone. So, um, so how do we do that? And where, where do we start with that? Where do we go with that? Oh, uh, man, uh, you know, first step, uh, recognizing that I, I have an issue that needs to be dealt with. Uh, next step, asking for help, you know, being willing to let somebody walk this journey with me. Um, you know, Ultimate Escape as an organization, we're a faith-based organization, uh, and you know, I do a lot of speaking on the topic and also do counseling or um, you know, coaching, uh, you know, whether it's a one-time consult somewhere, you know, whether here or halfway across the world you know, in a speaking situation or local one-on-one. -on -one. So I work with people in a lot of different situations. Uh, when I'm out speaking somewhere, you know, it's very common to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation that may last for an hour or a few hours. We may do an intensive session over a course of a couple of days with someone coming in from out of town, or I'll go to where they live, or we'll do the the traditional, you know, pastoral counseling, you know, week week in week out sessions. Um, and just to be clear, you know, I'm not a licensed professional counselor. I don't engage in mental health services. Uh, we we do everything that we do under the Ultimate Escape banner uh, as a faith based organization uh, doing pastoral counseling. It is always, and to me, it is a privilege, it's an honor uh, to be let into somebody's life and be willing to, and, and let them um, or have them give me the chance to walk, walk this journey with them. Uh, it's like holy ground. Uh, I don't know of anything that affects us more to the core of our being than sexual hurt. Um, and for someone to reach out and ask for help 
and let somebody walk that journey uh, is a huge step um, because they're, they're typically going to walk through the most painful, the most shameful aspect of anything that's happened to them. But that's a huge step for somebody to take of being willing to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that ask for help you know, starts with a friend. Uh, hey, here, here's something that's going on and I just don't know what to do. I feel like I need to do something, but I, you know, who do I talk to? And sometimes I'll get phone calls or Holly will get phone calls. Uh, hey, we know what you guys do. Here's a situation we're aware of. Um, can you point us in the direction of good resources? Mm-hmm. But what does it look like after those first couple of steps? That's where it really gets, you know, the difficult work has to happen uh, because so many things uh, have gone wrong uh, and it can be in a very short time. So if somebody had a one-time uh, sexual trauma event when they were, let's say, four years old, or if this happened repeatedly over, over years of time, uh, there's so much brokenness that happens. And it's at the core of who we are. I mean, mm-hmm. stop and think of who we are as people. Uh, number one, we're created in the image of God. First and foremost, you know, we're, we are spiritual beings created in God's image. Um, which means we are you know, relationship with God is, is a primary purpose for us, our relationship with other people. And there can be huge amounts of damage in that right there in a traumatic sexual encounter. Um, because the, why did this happen to me? Um, why didn't God stop it? If God really is loving, if God really cares anything about me and he's, he's powerful, he could have, why didn't he? Mm-hmm. That is a common question mm-hmm. that everybody has to wrestle with if they are of any kind of spiritual mind minded you know, position. And so that, that relationship with God can be severely broken in that moment. And what happens to many people is we end up spending kind of a lifetime of a very distant relationship with God. I, I want to please God. I, I want God to love me. I, I, I believe in God, but there's a part of me that's really angry or really hurt. Mm-hmm. But my religious upbringing has made me pretty much disconnected from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I may, I may be hyper spirit or hyper religious. They may, I may be the most active person at my church, always volunteering for all kinds of things. Because what's really driving that is a desperate desire to feel like I please God or to get God to love me. And I may not even be aware of what's at the bottom of that. Yeah. Uh, but if, if I really dig down deep, wow, I, get to, I, I start to recognize I'm trying to earn something mm-hmm. from God here uh, because I feel so shameful and so dirty. Right. That sounds like a different trigger than what we were talking about earlier, where we trigger on on problems or I'm having this relationship issue as opposed to looking and taking assessment of my life, taking a, mm-hmm. a, a look at my own life and saying, why am I doing, why do I always struggle with the same internal battle in my head? Mm-hmm. Although outwardly I feel like I'm doing all that I can, but I still don't feel satisfied mm-hmm. in a sense of, of doing what is, is right in my, in my mind. Yeah, because if there's a broken something down deep, no amount of busyness or doing or success on the surface is ever going to make a dent in that broken spot inside. You know, it's like uh, I use this uh, comparison a lot with clients. It's like I've got a uh, container that I'm pouring liquid into the container but the bottom has a hole in it. It mm. doesn't matter how much I pour. You know, I can have an endless amount. It's like trying to pour the ocean into a gallon bucket. Well, if the gallon bucket has a hole in the bottom, in theory, you can run the whole ocean through it and it'll right. still never get full. Yeah. 
Yeah. As we begin to do that work, and I hear this talk about a lot, you know, there's a lot of hard work to be done. Mm-hmm. What is that hard work? Describe what that is. What, what's that? What's that painful work that's going to have to be? Um, yeah, I've got to identify uh, the, the the hurt, the pain, the truth in the past. I'm going to borrow a phrase from Diane Langberg, uh, one one of the books that she wrote on counseling uh, survivors of sexual trauma. I'm not sure that's the exact title, but basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that phrase, you got to tell the truth about the past and you got to learn how to tell the truth about the present. For most people who have been uh, victims of sexual trauma, there is so much, as far as lies, that just get planted in that. You know, it, it can feel like it's my fault. And maybe I heard that message. Uh, well, if you weren't such a bad person, I wouldn't do this to you. Or you made me do this. Uh, if you didn't dress like that, if you didn't act like that, I wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody has you know those kinds of overt lies told to them. Oftentimes, they're more implied, mm-hmm. or they can come you know, just in in my own brain of trying to make sense of it. I, I, I somehow or another come up with, well, if you know, it, it somehow was my fault. Well, if it if it was my fault, that there are ramifications of that. If it was my fault, that means. I can control it. I can do something different. I can keep it from happening in the future. Mm. Uh, if I recognize that it wasn't my fault, I didn't have any control. There was nothing I could do to stop it. That can that can elicit an enormous amount of fear over the future because if I couldn't stop it from happening then, that means I can't stop it from happening again in the future. Mm. It's easier to just believe I had control than I don't have any control because of what that means for my future. Mm. So what, what all got broken in here, um, identify what feels true that may not be accurate because there probably is a lot of that buried underneath. And that's a, that can be a long process mm-hmm. of figuring out what all's under there mm-hmm. and how do I start to replace. And we've, we've had conversations yeah. before, you know, as a matter of fact, we talked about uh, core beliefs in a previous podcast, right? How do I replace what I know to be true um, in the place of what feels true, but it isn't, uh, there, that that's a process and that can be a long process. If I'm willing to do that level of work where I can come out on the other side is released from all of that, because what I, what I can come out realizing is God is present. Even when bad things happen, God's present and it doesn't mean God caused it. It sure doesn't mean God doesn't care about me or I'm dirty or God doesn't love me. Uh, there are other reasons for why bad things happen than it must be this. Right. It also means I get released from, uh, from an enormous amount of shame, you know, mm. and that shame of I'm dirty, I'm bad, I'm, I'm unlovable. Nobody will want me. Um, some of those beliefs are what keep people from ever sharing with a spouse or with a, a boyfriend who they're fixing to marry a fiance that something has happened. I continue to hear that. You know, from, from mm-hmm. adult women who are married, I've never told my husband what happened to me when I was 10. I don't want to ever tell my husband because if he knows he's going to think I'm dirty, he may not want me. I've had, you know, mothers of clients who are bringing in their teenagers for help. Uh, and in the course of those conversations, we identify, oh, that something happened to them also. Right. And no, they're not going to tell the husband they're just going to keep the secret. Well, that that's its own dynamic mm-hmm. because what it does is it establishes a family pattern of we have secrets and there are things that we don't talk about. Um, Which is such a damaging position to begin with. I mean that, that people, I don't, I don't know that 
most people understand the damage that having secrets as a family mm-hmm. culture does to the relationship and does to so many generations. Yeah, and there's, there's a huge connection between that. I've got a secret that I'm guarding and those landmines of boom, we just, something just exploded because when I'm filled with shame and secrecy and fear of somebody finding out any situation where I think something may come up that would uncover my secret, I'm going to have a huge um, defensive reaction to. Now that can look like anger. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking about a client situation here. So I've got a, 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 you know, a female client um, who's out at a restaurant with her husband and a teenager. And the conversation is about a movie. But because of the content of the movie, uh, when the teenager said, uh, you know, would you go see that movie? There was no ability to just say, no, not kind of movie I'd be interested in. There was a huge visceral reaction mm-hmm. to why in the world would you think I'd go see a movie? Yeah. Because what it did is that, that just tapped into the, what if all of a sudden my sexual past comes to light here in this conversation. Yeah. It seems to me that overall, the fear is the crippling factor in everything that we do. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. the response that we have, but it seems to be bound up in this concept. Uh, and I see this so often in people in ministry. We see this so often that fear is this common denominator that keeps people from being able, being willing to deal with this these struggles and to do the work that you're mm-hmm. talking about here. Yeah, and, and part of that fear for trauma survivors uh, in the in the question, do I want to open Pandora's box, is what if it's too big? What if it consumes me? What if it buries me? What if I can never, like if I start crying, I may never be able to stop. Mm. Um, when I'm working with clients, I'll typically use the metaphor of a, of a dam. Hey, we've got all this emotion and there's a dam holding that emotion back. The last thing we want to do is blow up that dam. Mm-hmm. Um, we, what we want to do is try to disassemble it brick by brick, because with each brick I remove, a little bit of that emotion has a chance to be processed, mm-hmm. and it does take time. But if I can go through the process like that, wow, all of a sudden I get to, at some point I realize there's not nearly the amount of pressure mm-hmm. behind this thing that there always has been. Um, and when I finish going through that process of dealing with this, whoo, this huge weight is lifted off of me because now there, there's there's just nothing back there that I'm trying to keep contained that keeps trying to come out. And at the bottom line, this was not a process that can be done on your own. Right. I mean, we think about, oh, well, I can, I'll just deal with this on my on my own. Yeah. I'll read a few books. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to some podcasts, mm-hmm. which we want you to do. But, but ultimately, the work, the hard work that has to be done cannot be done by yeah, yourself. But again, what's behind that? Why would somebody gravitate to, I just, I just want to do this myself. Okay. What, what has to be true? Uh, control. Yeah. You know, I don't want to let anybody else in. Uh, if I do it all on my own, nobody else has to find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I would encourage someone to explore, Hey, what is it that drives you to want to do all this by yourself and not, allow somebody who can actually help be a part of the process. I'm just protecting everyone else. That, I've heard that one. I've heard yeah, that one that's a common, a common thing, especially with family. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to burden somebody else with my problems. I'm the one everybody comes to with their problems 
So it would it wouldn't be right for me to share that I have problems. They they can't hold you know they can't hold the weight of that. I've like, seen this in, in terms of faith as well because I've heard I've I've actually experienced people saying I, I don't want to share this with them. I don't want to involve them in this discussion because I don't want to shake their faith, uh, which is betraying the fact that their own faith is is on shaky ground to begin mm-hmm. with. But they're afraid of I don't want to you know I don't want to give them cause not to to believe and 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 I think you know the ego that drives that is huge. I mean, how big does my ego have to be to think that I can rock somebody else's faith by being vulnerable and, and sharing that I might have questions or doubts myself? But do they see it as ego? I mean, I don't think I doubt they, it. they don't see it as, as being right. ego. No, it's, it's, it's magnanimous. I'm, I'm protecting them. Right. Again, what's underneath that? Sure. Um, because if I don't have to protect them, then what does that call me to do? I mean, if, if I lose my wall to stand behind of... I'm protecting somebody else. Once that wall is gone, where does that leave me? Yeah. Yeah. And the sad thing is I think a lot of times the people in that scenario, when we, when we build those walls to protect other people, what we find out later on, sometimes years down the road, is that they are suffering from even greater yeah. hurt than what we were trying to protect them from. Yeah. And, and as parents, like, okay, again, let me, let's be specific for who we're uh, trying to target with our podcast here. So if I'm the mom of young children, and I, don't want to, I don't want to expose my children to my emotion. I don't want them to see me cry because that might injure them. Um, no, I don't think it's going to injure your kids for them to see that you have emotion. Uh, now, they're going to need a context. And for them to see that you have emotion is very different than my emotion is coming out in a harmful or dangerous way toward them. Those are two different things. But for my kids to see me cry and for me to have uh, the opportunity to share with them why I'm crying, I can put it in children terms pretty easy. Hey, when mama was younger, somebody really hurt me and I'm now getting some help to help me get through children words, uh, to help mama get better from what this person did. It it makes me sad when I think about that, or I'm hurt because of what they did. All right. Uh, Now I've, I've given them, you know, a simple reason or or I can hang my hat as a child. I can hang my hat on that, uh, that little explanation. Because what a kid needs to know is basically, number one, it's not their fault. They didn't do something that made mama sad. And it's not their job to make mama happy. And mama is going to be okay. That's what they want to know. Right. Mom, mom, mom's going to be all right. And it's not my fault that she's feeling this way. Okay, let me, let me go out and play. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Well, I think about even uh, in the podcast that we did where uh, Holly shared her own personal story mm-hmm. and her journey. Um, you know, the idea is I, it's a very natural thing as a parent to say, I don't want my kids to make the same mistakes I made. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we want them to be better than ourselves, you know. But at the same time, most people, so many of us, will we don't share the mistakes we made with our kids mm-hmm. for fear of some reason that that's going to cause them to make those mistakes or that's going to yeah. or it's or it's embarrassing to me and I just don't want to do that yeah, or I lose my ability to speak into their life because with, they're going to throw that up in my face. Yes, yes, I somehow I lose my authoritative yeah. status or something. Um and and yet it's it's exposing those. It's sharing the mistakes that we made. It's it's sharing the struggles that we've had ourselves that mm-hmm. allows our kids to know 
what mistakes not to make or or at least how to respond when those mm-hmm. mistakes come along in their own yeah, life. What if God had written the Bible from that perspective? Oh, if people know the mistakes of the heroes in the Bible, you know, they won't listen to what they write or oh, yeah. they, it'd be a real different <laughs> book. So, hey, let's let's follow the let's follow the lead of the creator of the universe. Uh, it's okay for people to know we've made mistakes. It's okay to know that we struggle. Yeah. Uh, that that doesn't dampen our ability to do whatever God's called us to do uh, or to be a voice that people respect and listen to. And I think you have to remind someone who's looking at, 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 at the Bible of Scripture of it's pretty clear that uh, the model that's given is confession mm-hmm. uh, with one another, confession in community with other people, sharing struggles is the pathway to healing, mm-hmm. is the pathway to, uh, to being um, uh, closer to God in that sense as mm-hmm. well. So let me, let me say a couple of things uh, specifically to, you know, to women who may be listening. Uh, if the idea of sex in general just feels very dirty or wrong or that that's that's something's bad about that um that should be a red flag if i have zero interest or rarely have any interest in being sexual with my husband uh, if i don't ever initiate that should be a red flag i'm not saying that the, the that there's no other explanation behind them i'm saying those should be red flags because those are pretty classic indicators If when my husband tries to touch me in any kind of sexual way, I have an aversion, I have a a recoil response, or it makes me sick at my stomach, I feel like I'm going to be sick. That's a huge red flag. The body is remembering something, and it it may have to do with the marriage relationship, depending on the history, or it may predate, it may have nothing to do with this relationship, because if I love my husband and my husband is very safe, but I have that kind of a reflex that's not about him and it's not about us. It's about something else. If I can't be comfortable being sexual with my spouse, unless I'm either, you know, under the influence of alcohol, drugs or something, that should be a red flag. If I have to go somewhere mentally while there is sex going on, that should be a red flag. All of those are pretty classic indicators. Hey, something, something's buried back here and making this moment very uncomfortable. If any of these things describe what a listener is experiencing, really encourage them. Um, reach out to somebody who has some training uh, to help guide them in a process here and at least figure out, is there something that I need to deal with? Because in the end, what you're looking for is healing, uh, looking to improve those relationships, looking to um, draw closer to God, mm-hmm. uh, to, incru- uh, to improve, uh, to be a better spiritual person, to be a better uh, husband, or uh, to be a better wife, uh, be a better mother, um, and, uh, and to stop, uh, break the cycle, mm-hmm. if I can use that phrase as well, from it happening again and again. Yeah, and I really want to underscore, it's not because there is something wrong with you. Mm. Not because you did something wrong, not because there's there's something lacking in you. Uh, it's more likely because something happened to you. 
even if I made a mistake along the way in dealing with it or not dealing with it, um, because I can look back on my life and say I, I should have dealt with it then and didn't and see it is my fault. Mm-hmm. But but that's that's still not that's still not reason. No, and, and there are people who um, may have made choices around sexuality as older teenagers or young adults that are different choices than they would have made if they had not had the sexual baggage of early sexual abuse or early sexual encounters. Mm. And again, to me, that's a huge difference because if I'm not capable of making a choice um, in a responsible way, that's a very different picture. I'm not trying to play semantics or you know, just you know, totally resolve anybody of ever having a responsibility for any choices that we make. Uh, but if I was abused as a six, seven, eight-year-old child, uh, and then I made reactive behavior decisions as a teenager. Uh, that was not the real me. That was not the me that God created just choosing to be sexually promiscuous. Mm. That was a broken version of me that was reacting to something that I had no idea what was going on or how to deal with. Sometimes people just need to recognize, hey, the, the 13 or 15-year-old me needs to have some slack given to him. Because a lot of times the adult me is really harsh of the 16-year-old me. And what I need to do is recognize that the 16-year-old me was an extremely wounded person who needs some compassion and not a lot of harsh judgment. So as we come to a close and talk about this, it is such a, um, a, a topic that I think reaches and touches so many different people in so many different ways. We all have baggage. We all bring baggage into relationships. Um, and sometimes it's our own, and sometimes it's, our, it's, it's someone else's. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we can see our own baggage. Sometimes it takes someone like a close friend to see the baggage yeah. that I'm bringing. Part of the encouragement I think we want to leave with is that uh, seek out, help share this with someone. Definitely. If you're listening to this podcast and there's been someone that has come to your mind as you're listening to the podcast, please, by all means, want to encourage you share the podcast with them. Hey, ran across this podcast. Think you might have interest in it. Here you go. Because eventually it takes someone taking that step. We can... You can bring a horse to water, right. but you can't make them drink. You can you can encourage someone and walk that and be there as a person to walk that journey yeah. with them. But eventually, they have to take that first yeah, step. Yeah, Holly themselves. shared in her story, uh, episode two, mm. uh, that you know if it wasn't if it wasn't for her three nosy friends, as she calls them, uh, she may never have dealt with uh, the stuff she needed to deal with. Yeah, it's a long journey. It's a difficult journey. But the uh, the destination is much better. Oh, than the yeah, th- definitely. The, the side of I have dealt with my stuff and have been released from its effects is way more enjoyable life than living with the pressure of the dam. <laughs> living life abundantly. Yeah. That's that's the key. Hey, I appreciate you stopping by. Hey, thank you so my much. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Ultimate Escape Podcast. Remember, if you'd like more information about the Ultimate Escape Ministry and all the services that they can provide, visit our website at ultimateescape.org. And please recommend this podcast to friends and family who may benefit from listening to it. You can find us on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and Alexa. Thank you again for joining us. I'm David Chenault, and this is the Ultimate Escape Podcast. Podcast.